Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. I have enjoyed the last several months of being the teacher at Nachamu Ami more than I have uh, in a long, long time. Teaching is, and, and teaching the Bible and teaching interpretations is very, very rewarding. But the truth of the matter is what I realize is that teaching the things like I'm teaching today are so very, very important because all the knowledge in the world does not create a fulfilled heart. It doesn't create a connected heart. And we really need that. And that's what this, that's what this time, and that's what the work that I'm doing here now is about. And it's important, and I'm glad that you're here to hear it, because honestly, I feel like God has spoken more to me in the last three weeks than he has in many years. And last week, we, we, our message was the beginning of the Elul series called Every Descent. And it's, I told you, every descent is for a future ascent. And I talked about using our failures for fuel. And I talked about the perspective of a positive prognosis and more searching, more doing the high holidays, borrowing that from the Home Depot line. I gave you many taglines last week. Many memorable things, and, and there was application in there, of course, but, but we talked about the necessity of descending, of, of considering our failures. And, and, you know, someone suggested, well, I, I enjoyed that, but it, you kind of were too easy on us. Like you just said, you know, you made some mistakes, fix them, it'll be fine, everything's going to be good. Like, maybe you should have Maybe you should have left us down there a little bit longer. And I, I responded and said, come back next week. <laughs> and this is next week. And that sounds very encouraging, doesn't it? Are you excited about what's ahead? The thing is, they were right because it takes more than just saying, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, well, meh. Kesara, sara, or whatever that line is. I don't know what it means, but I think that's the appropriate application. Part of the descent, part of the process is to really consider those mistakes, those situations, those decisions. And I mean, if, we, if we're going to consider a redirection, if we're going to change our trajectory because it's off, shouldn't we consider where it got off? Couldn't we, shouldn't we consider why the, tra- the trajectory changed? Shouldn't we give some consideration to the path we were on and got off? But that's not fun, Damien, I know, but it's necessary. It's necessary to get to the root of things. To descend to the origin of some things that we need to consider in our lives. And here's my promise to you. You will learn some things today. You'll be challenged and maybe uncomfortable in the process. You'll understand what I mean by the necessity to descend. And you will be encouraged. And you will leave with some hope in your heart. 
and excitement as we can begin to, to, to make our ascent now into the important days ahead. And most importantly, this is most important to a better life, as Chainbreaker sang. There's a better life. And today, we're going to prepare ourselves by staying down here just a little bit. And you'll be shocked to know that we're going to start this process by a very perfectly timed Torah portion called Kitetse, which says this, when you will go out to war against your enemies and Adonai your God will deliver him into your hand and you will capture his captivity, that means you take booty, you will see among captivity a woman who is beautiful of form and you will desire her. That gives new meaning to booty, doesn't it? You may take her to yourself for a wife. You shall bring her to the midst of your house. She shall shave her head and let her nails grow. She shall remove the garment of her captivity from upon herself and sit in your house. And she shall weep for her father and mother for a full month. Thereafter, you may come to her and live with her and she shall be a wife to you. But it shall be that if you do not desire her, then you shall send her on her own. But you may not sell her for money. You may not enslave her because you have afflicted her. What? What is happening here? This is in the Bible that says we can walk in and take women? This happens to be one of the sections that most critics of the Old Testament and the law and God in general read things like this and say, you cannot be serious. You follow a God who, allow, who, who condones this? Rape? Kidnapping? A hated wife? I mean, Jiminy Christmas here. Then it goes on to say, if a man will have two wives, one beloved and one hated, and they bear him sons, the beloved one and the hated one, and the firstborn son is the hated one. Hating your children, and then it goes on to say you can't, you can't rob the first one's inheritance. And then it goes on to say, if a man will have a wayward and rebellious son who does not hearken to the voice of his father and the voice of his mother, and they discipline him, but he does not hearken to them, then his father and mother shall grasp him and take him out to the elders of the city and the gate of this place. They shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is wayward and rebellious. He doesn't listen. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. All the men of his city shall pelt him with stones and he shall die. What? is happening here. Kidnapping, a hated wife, having your child stoned, and furthermore, how in the world is this appropriate to your high holiday betterment? There are some very interesting considerations put forth by the Jewish sages regarding this portion. And then Rashi comes along in the... In the, in the Middle Ages, and adds an amazing insight to this that we're going to uncover. I just read you 10 through 15 about the hated wife, and what are we, we ask ourselves, what is this? And the answer to this, first of all, is context, but there's much more. Here's the thing about war. War is hell. Men 
be, descend to levels of depravity in war that are embarrassing and gross and disgusting and they, they kill people and they abuse things and they steal things and they rape women and it's the way it's always been for as long as people have been fighting, there's been pillaging and looting and raping and it's gross and it's disgusting but it's the reality of history and it was the reality of this particular time. that a man's instinct after having been at war and having defeated and won and then seeing the enemy's women would, would allow himself to be overcome with lust and anger and hatred and go and take her and do something very bad. Is the Torah condoning this? Is the Torah saying, this is a good commandment. Go and do this. This is the same thing as we read in slavery, which we've already studied. The Torah does not condone slavery, but yet slavery was in existence. Slavery was a part of the culture. And so the Torah comes along and gives rules for slaves and how you must treat them and how you must dignify them. And you can't do certain things to slaves. It is a fact of the matter that slavery existed. And so what the Torah says is, you are the people of God and you will behave in a certain way. Way regarding every human being on this planet. And you have a similar situation with this law of the captive woman. Rape is a tragic fact and part of war through the ages. And as long as mankind has done war and taken up arms, the reward of victory has been not so good. And God says, what am I going to do with you? If you do that, it's bad. It's a bad thing. But if this happens, you are not the pagans. You are not the idol worshipers. Your army is my army. You are the army of God. You represent me. You will not go in and rape and take a woman from her home. You will do this. And he gives all these things and he, you know, giving her room to, to mourn her family and all these other, like, they seem so strange that this would happen. But what God is saying is you will not give in to the impulsive behavior of the evil inclination. You may take this woman, but you will come to her, you will bring her into your home and she will sit there and you will, there's a lot of competing theories about why the head is shaved and the nails are done and all that. But the point is, you're going to have to be around her and you're going to go through this process with her. And the strange thing they say that the sages say about this is, this is the Torah's concession to the evil inclination. That is a strange phrase, isn't it? But what it admits is the reality of the situation. It takes a difficult thing and puts it in context and says, you shouldn't, but if you do, then this. But, and that's hard, and I understand that, that that's not easy, and I understand why critics of that would be, would be challenged by that. 
but she is to be granted the dignity of mourning her parents. She's granted the honor of marriage. She's not to be taken forcibly. She's to be married. She's to be given the status of a wife. She can't be treated as a slave. She cannot be sold. And yeah, that all sounds still pretty gross, but that was the, the history. That was the culture. That was the context. And so God creates this thing. But that phrase, Giving in to the evil inclination is what I want you to, po- to, to keep posted here because the, the things that happen here are the interesting twist. What happens next? Remember this, remember this gal? If a man will have two wives, one beloved and one hated, and they bear him sons, the beloved one and the hated one. Rashi makes this connection. You know who the hated wife is? The one that you just took in war because you gave in to your evil inclination. It's not good to do that, but if you do it, do it this way, but do not think that there will not be consequences. And then remember our wayward and rebellious son, who was the son possibly of the hated wife, and we wanted to take his inheritance away, but no, then he ends up being rebellious and wayward. Guess whose son he is? The son of the wayward wife that you took in battle, which you shouldn't have done to begin with. And do you see the connection here? It's about getting to the root. It started with one bad choice. And the Torah even made concession for the bad choice, but yet you did not overcome it. Now, how many of our lives are like this in reality? And so when I talk to you during the high holidays about getting to the root, this is what I'm talking about. You can look and you can blame and you can point and you can cry and wail and do every other thing. But if you do not be serious about the consideration of your fault in the failures, go home. There's nothing for you to do. That whole process started with a bad decision. And when the sages say the Torah's concession to the evil inclination, that's a lot like Paul in 1 Corinthians saying, all things are lawful, but all, not all things are profitable, right? We make bad choices. And it is often the case that one choice has far-reaching consequences in our lives. I think we can all pin one of those down. And there's something actually worse. When you give in once, it is so much easier to give in again. When you break the barrier of giving in to the evil inclination, it is so much easier. Now listen, for all of us this year, that happened. And it could be the holy things. It could be like, well, I was praying so well and I was doing this and then I got out of habit and that stopped. But, but, but that's, that's um, just one thing. What about like how easy it is? I'm making a commitment and I'm making a commitment these high holidays. I will not gossip. I won't talk about anyone. That was really good. But it's the day after Yom Kippur and I've already said... The slippery slope of complacency that takes us all 
down, but it begins with one thing, often. But what I'm talking about is evaluating your lives in this season and saying, you know what, there are some really screwed up things in me. Where did they begin? One bad choice, one decision, one failure leads to another and another and another. And sooner or later, figuratively, like our soldier who gave in to the evil inclination, now we have a hated wife and a wayward and rebellious son and our life, and we're saying, God, why? Is it his fault? No. So here's another definition for tshuva, which we know tshuva is to return, it's to turn, it's to get back. And, and to do a turn, of course, it's just a little thing for you. We think of a turn. A turn is not a 360. Uh, that would put you right back where you were. It's a 180. It's going the opposite direction. But there's another definition I'd like to give you for tshuva, which can be applied, which says going back. Now, Sort of in a negative way here, because what we need to go back to is the root. We need to dig down. We need to descend. We need to go back to the beginning and ask, God, where did we give in to the evil inclination? And how did this chain of events bring me to here? And what can I do now? And I think tshuva and going back and getting to the root looks a lot like this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Or what we sang today in Psalm 25, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and lead me. And my friends, that is not a comfortable journey. But you need to be willing to hear and identify what the Spirit of God reveals you and reveals to you. And here's the problem. You ready for the problem? You have a frail ego. You are a human. You are frail in general. And I said last week that we tend toward the negativity out of protection. We talked about the physiology of how your brain processes positives and negatives. And this week, I'm going to tell you something else we tend toward. We tend toward blame, not acceptance. We tend toward blame, not acceptance. In the case of the son, the wayward son, this is how I imagine that at times. Huh. Look at this kid. I've done everything for him. Look at the life. Look at him and look at the way he treats me. What a jerk. Take him out and stone him. You know why it never happened, the Talmud tells us, that it never happened that a wayward son was stoned at the gates? Do you know why? Because one of the acknowledgments required for that to take place was for the parent to say, I did absolutely everything I could do to prevent this child. I raised him perfectly. How many parents? <laughs> Only my mom.
parents, your bad choices didn't contribute at all to this behavior? Wayward soldier who took his mom? Wayward soldier who who treated him badly because you didn't like his mother? Wayward soldier who you, you wanted to take away his inheritance? And you think you're innocent in this? Be honest with yourself. Acceptance. There's a core principle of tshuva in that that is accept responsibility. Accept responsibility for yourselves. I told you last week we can use our mistakes to power our transformation. My failures will be fuel. But it begins by honestly assessing and accepting your part in your own failures and accepting those things with honesty. And here's something I love, which I don't know where it came from. It just did. Deflection prevents reflection. When you cannot receive any criticism, correction, critique, when all you do is try to push it off, no matter who's giving it to you, you cannot change. You cannot accept. You cannot reflect. Deflection prevents reflection. So last week I was easy on you and now I'm not because you don't deserve it. Just kidding, neither do I. You can change. You can begin the ascent from this point right here of evaluating with honesty and accepting responsibility and getting down to the root. And you cannot, I'm afraid, change all the consequences of bad decisions. That part you can't do. But you can change. You can change. And never, ever forget this. Never, ever, ever forget this. Viktor Frankl, search, man's search for meaning. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. You get it? Golly, rabbi self-help here. Yep, because we all need it. When we are no longer able to change the situation, we're challenged to change ourselves. I hope that you're hearing me. I hope that wherever you are, if you're in these beautiful purple seats at Nechamuami, or if you're in South Africa, or wherever, wherever people are listening, I hope you're hearing me. I hope you'll take this seriously because I believe in the power of this process in these days. I am actually experiencing this in ways that I have not before. And I think I say that every year, but that should be part of the spiritual maturity we're all going through, right? It should mean more this year than last year. I'm experiencing that there are patterns and things in my life that I've followed and lived for so long that I can't even see them and they desperately need to be changed. And here's my personal story. Can I be vulnerable with you? Conventional leadership wisdom says, no, you better not be vulnerable because you're about to lose your job or somebody's going to lose their respect for you or something like that. But I'm going to do it anyway 
because I'm reading this book. I didn't want to read this book. I'm reading this book called Dare to Lead by an author of PhD named Brene Brown. She's written a lot of books. PhD, uh, psychologist, I don't know if she's a psychologist. She knows something about psychology. That's for certain. I didn't choose the book for obvious reasons, though. Hashem chose it for me. I was listening to it on audio when I was driving home from Birmingham last week. And I was listening, and I was like, "Mm, wow, yeah, that's good. Ooh, good. Ah, that's relevant. And then one of those descent moments took place. The cheshbon hanefesh, the accounting of the soul, the elul process, the descent. She started talking about perfectionists. To which I said, and proudly told myself, this will be good. I'm one of those. Or my favorite way to say I'm a perfectionist is I choose to do things with excellence and I expect the same from others. Here's what Dr. Brene Brown had to say about perfectionism. Wherever perfectionism is driving us, shame is riding shotgun. Excuse me? Here's what perfectionism isn't. It's not striving for excellence. It's not healthy achievement and growth. Perfectionism is a defensive move. Part, well, I never, I said to myself. At its core, it's about trying to gain approval. Most perfectionists grew up being praised for achievement and performance, grades, manners, sports, appearance. And somewhere along the way, they adopted this dangerous belief system. I am what I accomplish and how well I accomplish it. Please perform, perfect, prove. Striving for excellence is how can I improve? Perfectionism is what will everyone else think? Perfectionism is not correlated with achievement. The opposite is true. It's correlated with addiction, depression, life paralysis. That means not being able to accomplish anything. A fear of failing and being criticized. Perfectionism is not a way to avoid shame. If I looked perfect and do everything perfectly, I can avoid the hurtful feelings of blame, judgment, and shame. Perfection is about perception, not internal motivation. And perfection is addictive because when you are a perfectionist and when you experience shame and blame, you turn that around to you and say, it's because I wasn't good enough. Next time, I'll do better. And you won't. Because blame and shame are just part of life. We have to learn how to navigate those things. If you could have seen my face, you would have known that something was hitting. I don't want to be that 
perfect is, is good. This can't be. But I imagined myself as an onion in the driver's seat as God just peeled them back. It's, it is kind of difficult because if I get to the root of it and I think about what my perfectionism has done to the people that I love and care about, my children, my wife, desiring a standard in them that is unachievable. And somehow or another, when you peel it all back, it's actually because you have an inadequacy. And I could tell you, friends, how far down I had to go to see all the places that this affects It was uncomfortable and it was hurtful. And I'll bring that around in the application of this teaching. But I know for some of you, this isn't easy. It's incredibly difficult to visit hurt. For some of us, the root is not even something we did. It was done to us. And yet there still remains a chain reaction in that. I didn't even do it. I didn't, even, I didn't even deserve what happened to me, someone says. God forbid a child who was abused, molested, a victim of, of horrible relationships, the loss of someone dear to you, but, but even there, even when you were innocently affected, you still have the power to choose something different. So let's summarize, Damien. You want me to get totally depressed in an effort to be happy? <laughs> Not exactly. I want you to be honest with yourself. After all, what is our purpose? To draw near to God, to find the root, and to stop right there. No, to find the root, uncover it, hatchet it out, and start back up. Plant a new seed that grows up. That's your life. Down there is where we, we get to it, and then we come back up, and it's not overnight. How, how long did the descent take? Do you think the ascent is instantaneous and you wake up perfect? Judaism actually says, no, we don't believe that. Repentance and shuva is not something that you do, and it's like miraculously amazing. You know, I, th I think about addiction. I think about cigarettes and alcoholics and pornography and heroin and all these things that are a part of our world today. And, and some people make this decision and they say, I'm, I'm done with it. I got it. I am fixed. Very rarely are they, are they? Because when your perspective is in this process, I am this way today, tomorrow I will be someone totally different and new, you're about doomed to fail. That's why AA says one day at a time. And you know, we may not be I don't, I don't know who struggles with alcohol 
or cigarettes or pornography or any of those things. But even if those aren't your vices, even if those aren't your things that you, that you hide in the closet, we're not any different than that in the big scheme of things. We all have crap that needs dealing with. But do not deal with it in the sense that I will fix all of this right now. Because God doesn't even require that. He will walk with you. If you will take, to borrow some AA language, the steps. So today I will change. I will be different in this 24 hours. I will acknowledge a mistake, I will correct it, and today I will be better. Today, I will not listen to the voice of discouragement. Today, I will choose to move upward. Today, I am ascending. I don't know who Wayne Dyer is, but he says this, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So how do we do it? Every good sermon needs an application, they tell me. How do we do it? You got me down here, Damien. You took me down here like you're peeling back the layers. I'm not doing that, by the way, but I'm just helping you think. Honesty, number one. Be honest with yourself. Be honest. Deflection prevents reflection. What God shows you, be willing to accept. Accept fault and failure. Be honest to hear the correction of God. Be honest, be, be willing to hear the correction of, of a spouse. Be honest enough to say, I gave in. Like this soldier in war. I gave in to the evil inclination and there are consequences most certainly. Be honest for all your sake and mine as the one who's telling you this, be honest enough to admit that if you're not going to be honest, it's not going to work. Be honest with yourself. Accept blame. I mean for real. Redeem it. We said it last week. Redeem the mistake. I see it. I see the mistake. I see the consequences. And this is what has happened because of my failure. And, and there must be the and. This is what I've learned from it. This is what I will change. This is what I will choose to be different than that. This is how I will redeem the mistake. This is what God has shown me. This is something, one good thing that can come. Redeem it. 
find purpose, believe God truly does things for a reason, and he uses our mistakes for a reason, and this is very important, hear me here, even if you are a a, a victim of a bad situation that you seemingly had no part in, redeem it. Viktor Frankl, I was listening to the psychological part of the book, the end chapters of Man's Search for Meaning, and he talks about an elderly man who came to him depressed, clinically depressed, couldn't go on. His wife of some decades had died, and he could not overcome it. And Viktor Frankl asked him this question, how how would your wife have handled it? if you had died first. He said it would have been absolutely devastating. She would have been, she would have been a wreck. She, I, I don't even know if she would have been able to survive. It, it would have been horrible. To which Dr. Frankel said, is it possible then that God through you has shown your wife such a great kindness? such a great act of mercy that she didn't have to live without you. And so you bear the burden, but it's for a purpose. That's called redeeming a mistake, even when it wasn't your fault. Finding value in the challenges of life. Last, we change it. Every single day, we change it. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it. This is the day the Lord has made for me to be just a little better than I was yesterday. This is the day the Lord has made for me to confront my failures, to be honest, to redeem them, and to change. Just today, just today, for as my master says, today has enough of its worries. Let's not fret about tomorrow. Be honest with yourself. Redeem the mistake and change it. Change you just for today. Remember that every descent is for the sake of a future ascent. And these days ahead are our ascent. Next week, some practical advice, though certainly not new, as we will draw from Messiah Yeshua's words for the ascent from where we are now. But please, 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 don't rush out of the place that we are in right now. Don't hear just some words that came out of my mouth and don't just think, oh, it was a sermon. Oh, that was a good quote. I have nothing to do with it. Don't rush out of here.
this place of honesty and opportunity to get to the root of some things. I don't want to be a perfectionist anymore. Now, the mask is off. I never was good at it anyway. (laughs) But God showed that to me in the strangest of ways. Don't be afraid to get to the root. Where did I go wrong? Why did I go wrong? How did I go wrong? And what, God, will you do to help me fix it? Listen. Just listen to the people around you right now. Not in here, I'm talking about. Listen to the books you're reading right now. Listen to the songs you're hearing. Listen. Be aware. God is everywhere. God is communicating. Now, the king is in the field. Now is the time we draw near. Listen. I didn't want to listen to that book. But by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I listened. And now I'm hearing. Listen. And let God lead you where you need to go. We get to the root. And we begin the ascent. Shabbat Shalom. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makinmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening. 